tonight, let's get some rest meditating on Revelation chapter 1, starting at verse 7, as we slowly work our way through these different books of the Bible together. Special hello to listeners in Mansfield, Texas. This is another spot where several people seem to have found the podcast. I'm really glad that you did if you're in Mansfield, Texas, or wherever you are. Feel free to share it with people who may be restless and benefit from meditating on God's Word like we do. And if you have any thoughts on how I can make this better, please email me at truesleepfeedback at gmail.com. All right, Revelation chapter 1, starting at verse 7. John is still introducing this uh, really unique book that's sort of a circular letter and a prophetic apocalypse book full of mystery, full of imagery, full of glory. He's still working his way through the introduction here, and he says, uh, referring to Jesus, he says, Behold, he, Jesus, is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail or mourn on account of him. Even so, amen. All right, let's stop there. That might be all we get to tonight. So first word, behold. Uh, he has just gone through sort of a benediction, just kind of a, a lovely a lovely description of how Jesus Christ has been faithful to his people and what he has done for his people. And then he says, behold, look at this. Think about this. Take note. Check this out, what I'm about to show you. Behold, Jesus is coming with the clouds. Jesus is coming. He is coming. Let's pause and meditate on that. Often when we think about Jesus, we think about him as a historical figure, the same way we might think about Abraham Lincoln. And he is a historical figure. He did live for real back then, thousands of years ago. But what's unique about Jesus in comparison to Abraham Lincoln is that Jesus arose from the grave and ascended into heaven and is alive today, is at work as the head of the church today, and is coming back. That's one of the key promises Christians hang on to, is that Jesus is coming back. So let's just think about that for a minute. Maybe it's been a while since you've remembered that fact if you're a Christian or if you're new to all of this. Maybe you didn't realize that. Jesus has promised to come back. I'll give you just 10, 15 seconds to let that sink in. I especially want to dwell on this. If you are new to Christianity, new to the Bible, you may have thought Jesus was yet just another dead, historical, religious figure. Uh, but he's absolutely unique in that he is alive today. And his people cling to this promise of his return. We as Christians are here as foreigners in a foreign land, uh, but actually not really a foreign land, a future land. We, we're citizens of a future kingdom. Jesus is our king. And he has promised to return and instate his kingly rule and reign 
and he is coming back. It says here, behold, he is coming with the clouds. With the clouds. Go ahead and picture clouds. That's why that imagery is in there. Now, I don't know if this means he's literally going to come visibly in the sky accompanied by clouds. I'll tell you what I always picture. This may or may not be helpful to you. I always picture that old movie Independence Day when the spaceships burst through the Earth's atmosphere and the clouds are just like boiling with color. Uh, that's what I visualize, uh, but that's not necessarily exactly biblical. But that's how it's described here. Jesus is coming back and he's coming with the clouds. I think overall that imagery is meant to give us a sense of the fact that it's going to be visible and it's going to be glorious. So do the best you can. The imagery of Revelation is meant to uh, work not just in our intellect, but also our imagination to try to visualize Jesus's return with the clouds. He is coming with the clouds. What will this look like? What will this be like? I don't know for sure, but our verse goes on to say, and every eye will see him. Every eye will see him. So it will be a visible return. We have ears and skin that feels and uh, we can taste. We have all these senses, but it's our eyes that are going to see his return. That's the sense that's most going to be engaged as he first returns. Every eye will see him. Now that's mysterious in of itself. If he's coming with the clouds, it seems like he's coming in the sky. How could he come in such a way that every eye could see him? What about the eyes on the opposite side of the earth? Because the earth is a sphere. How is that going to work? I don't know is probably going to be something more glorious than we really have a mental uh, category to fully understand. But he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. So, as we meditate on Scripture, we don't want to breeze over any part of it. Every eye will see him. Think about different people that you know. What is their reaction going to be when they see Jesus return? We've tried to visualize what we will see when Jesus returns and with the clouds, but now let's pan the camera away from the sky and toward the onlookers. Think about the people that you encountered during the day that you just lived. Just start from the beginning, work your way to right now, and just think about each of those individuals. What is their response going to be when Jesus returns? Will they be terrified? Will they be relieved? because they're Christians who've been longing for his return. Uh, will they be, uh, what will they be? Try to picture their faces. What will the reaction be?
John goes on. He says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Even those who pierced him. Now, that's past tense, and it sure seems like um, first reading that he's referring to the people involved in his crucifixion. But they're long dead now. Is he saying that even past generations, not just the present living generation, but past generations will see his return? Including those who literally pierced him physically when they crucified him. Or is that a more of a poetic way of just saying those who persecute him by persecuting his body, the church, the Bible refers to the church as the body of Christ. Whichever it means, Jesus's return is going to impact everyone, not just those who love him and are called according to his name, but even those who were against him and are against him. The verse says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. All the tribes, all the people groups on the earth will mourn, they'll wail, they'll cry out on account of Jesus as he returns. You know, the majority of the people groups in the world are not living for Jesus and longing for his return. The majority of people are living for today, putting their hopes in the kingdoms of today, and so when Jesus returns, it's not going to be a fulfillment of all of their life's ambitions. It's going to be a horrible interruption of all of their life's aims. Now, that's definitely something we can stop and ponder. So the Bible is clear that Jesus is going to return and end this age and begin the age when he is firmly on the throne, what we call eternal life, heaven. Will Jesus' return fulfill your life's ambitions, or will Jesus' return end and interrupt and thwart your life's ambitions? That is such an important question. I want to ask it again and give you a little more time to think about it. Because it could be, if you're restless, that it's because your life ambitions are misplaced. Uh, we're designed to live in light of the fact that Jesus is going to return. So I'll ask it again. I'm going to give you a good bit of time on this one. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to think on this. Jesus is going to return. Will Jesus' return fulfill your life's ambitions or thwart your life's ambitions?
Now, I want to be clear. What I don't mean is that for you to live in light of Jesus's return, you have to abandon your uh, house and your car and your family and your job and go live in a monastery as a monk or something like that. The Bible clearly indicates that Christians can be devoted to Jesus Christ, living for his return and living in light of his kingly reign now in and through their daily lives in every form of work that is legitimate uh, in every kind of career uh, there are christians in every sector of society living faithfully for king jesus who will rejoice at his return and his return will be the fulfillment of the, all their hopes and dreams uh, so i don't mean you have to abandon all other pursuits what happens when you're a Christian is all of your pursuits get bound up together in this one pursuit, this one allegiance to Jesus. So your work as an accountant, for example, uh, gets wrapped up in your life's pursuit of glorifying Jesus. And so you will be an accountant and do your work for the glory of God. You'll do it as a Christian with integrity, uh, as a means of serving people and doing a good job to please the Lord. He says to do your work as unto the Lord and not as unto men. So it may not be that for you to align yourself with Jesus's return, you have to change a lot of things in terms of your situation. It may just be more of a redirection of your heart. So what would need to change for you to live in light of Jesus's return? If you were going to live more in light of Jesus's return tomorrow than you did today, what needs to change? Now, that's a good question to end on because I think you can chew on that for a while. But I just want to read the very last part of the verse again. After he says that every tribe on earth will wail on account of him, he says, even so, amen, or even so, it's true and good, and I affirm it, and I embrace it, and I celebrate it. Now, even though Jesus' return is going to cause a great deal of wailing, there are going to be many who are cast into outer darkness because they have rejected Jesus. As Christians, we say, even so, even though that's true, even though we have loved ones, uh, for whom time will then be up. It's still going to be good that Jesus returns. And so we still embrace it. We still anticipate it. We still hope for it. We still look forward to it. So I'll ask you that, that last question again, and then I'll pray for you and let you get some rest. What needs to change in your life for you to anticipate and be ready for Jesus's return? Father, I pray that you would help them think about this as they rest, help them rest deeply by meditating on your word and these deep, important truths, and through the process, be making them whole, be helping them to live in alignment with what's true. Please help them think on this. Please convict them of where they are uh, living in a way that doesn't prepare them for Jesus's return. And I pray that we all would live tomorrow more ready for Jesus' return.
So we all look to you. Please help us with this. It's so hard and so distracting here in this world. But may we all be ready for the return of King Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.